Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning, Cape Cod Church. And Happy New Year! <laughs> oh, if you're in the room today, you are either a morning person or you did not stay up to watch the ball drop last night. <laughs> And to all of you joining us online, we hope you had a very awesome New Year's Eve last evening, and uh, it is good to be with you this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online. And uh, today, I have the privilege of kicking us off into the new year at Cape Cod Church, because unfortunately, Pastor Ben is not feeling well today. He's got a little bit of a cold, so he decided to stay home this morning. I think... I mean, all of his tests came back negative, so I think he just really wanted to listen to me preach this morning, but we'll see. He's going to kill me for that later when I get home. Uh, But I have the privilege of kicking us off into the new year, and I wanted to start 2023 by proposing a resolution for us as a community. Many of us probably make resolutions or set goals for ourselves in the new year. It's a nice time to look back on the last year and look ahead to the new. And this morning, I want to propose one for us as a community. One family, one church community, all together, a resolution about Cape Cod Church for Cape Cod Church. But if you're here this morning and you are visiting for the first time, maybe you're checking us out, maybe this is your New Year's resolution to be here, or you're watching online because somebody sent you the link to this message, don't check out just yet. Because this morning, we are going to talk about the one thing that Jesus prayed for for the church community. The one resolution that he gave us. So if you're here this morning and you're still just checking this out and you're not sure whether you want to be a part of this community, this is actually really worth leaning into. Because if you are checking out Jesus on any level, this resolution, this prayer is worth checking out so that you know what you're getting into. And personally, I think that the resolution that Jesus offers us is so compelling and so beautiful that it may just convince you to continue checking this place out, or at least to continue watching from the safety of home. I think it's really beautiful, but you will have to decide what you think for yourself. So today we're gonna start in the Gospel of John, and let me set the scene. About 2,000 years ago, a carpenter decided to leave his career and become a wandering preacher. And along the way, he picks up a group of friends and disciples who are going to listen to him teach and go with him from city to city. And as a group, they travel from place to place together, sometimes staying in people's homes, but oftentimes, presumably, camping out nearby. Now, fast forward three years, this group of people has been traveling together for three years. They have been living with one another, doing life with one another. They have seen some crazy things, and they have bonded as a community and as a family. Think of like the freshman college dorm experience. To the nth degree, this, these people have seen some stuff together. They have lived through some stuff together, and they have lived in very close quarters. And at the end of three years, their ringleader, their friend, the guy who brought them all together, who's named Jesus, he gets them all together over a meal, a meal that we famously now call the Last Supper. And he says this, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. 
On the night that Jesus is going to die, he gathers his friends together to let them know what's coming, that he's about to leave and he's about to die. And he warns them that life is going to get tough, and then he closes by praying for them. And he prays to God for one thing. He says to God in his prayer, now I am departing from the world, and they, these disciples, my friends, are staying in this world. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. But he doesn't stop there. He adds something. He says, I'm not praying simply for them. I'm praying, too, for the people who will come to believe in me because of their word. I am praying that they may all be one. I am praying that they may all be one. Jesus is about to leave. Everything is about to change, and he's warned the disciples that life is going to get tough. And in the face of that, he prays for one thing. He prays that they may all be one, that they may be united. He prays that God would keep them together, one friend group, one family, one community. And did you notice what he adds? He doesn't just pray for the disciples in the room. He's also praying for every person who comes after for every person who's going to get added to the family by what they have said. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you and for me and for Cape Cod Church. He prayed for each of us, and we can add ourselves right into it. Jesus says, I'm not praying simply for them. I'm praying too for Brittany and for Bob and for Larry and Hannah and every person in Cape Cod Church. I am praying that they may all be one. Before Jesus died, he prayed for one thing. He was about to be betrayed, about to die, and the disciples were about to face serious persecution. And instead of praying for their safety or for their courage, he prays that they would stick together, that they would stick together as one community. And he doesn't just stop there, like this is a one-time prayer for a one-time event or the specific events of the crucifixion. He looks ahead to the future, to every person who's going to believe and join this community because of the disciples, all the way down to you and to me and to Cape Cod Church, and he prays for one thing, that we might stick together, that we might be united. And there's some sense in the text that he prays for this one thing because it is the thing that was most at risk when Jesus leaves. Now, to understand why that might be true, why unity would be so challenging for this group of people and for us, you have to know who Jesus was speaking to. Uh, is anybody in the room a fan of camping? And I mean like real camping, like you sleep in a tent and you go to the bathroom in the woods. Anybody here? Look around, folks. It's a sea of crazy people. <laughs> I'm not saying I dislike you. I'm just saying I don't want to spend time with you when you're camping. I'll spend time with you outside of that any day, but I am not ashamed to admit I am not a fan of real camping. I went camping this past summer with my friend Alexa, and we actually went glamping. It was awesome. We had a tent, and in the tent there was a hardwood floor and a mattress. Amazing. And there was even a mini fridge. Now that is like true glamping. So we could enjoy the stars at night and the sound of a babbling brook nearby. And in the morning, I woke up with no back problems and I could have chilled cold brew for breakfast. It was amazing. If you want to know about glamping, come talk to me after service. I will tell you where you can go and how awesome it is. 
And I, this is my personal opinion, I think camping is a dangerous activity. A dangerous activity that pushes people to the brink of murder. I know because I've tried it. It's terrible. Camping, real true camping, is awful. You go to bed, there's bugs, you're sleeping on a rock, or you try and bring an air mattress, but by the morning you're on a rock anyways. You try cooking, but that's really hard in the rain, personal experience, so you end up eating like half-fried scrambled eggs and raw hot dogs for dinner. That is not a dinner anybody wants to eat. And then you wake up in the morning, you're tired, you're sore, and everybody, your family, everybody that went with you, you all kind of smell, and it's really close quarters. I mean, camping, true camping, will push you to the brink. And did you know that this is a true fact, statistical fact, most murders that happen in national parks go unsolved? Yeah, you can look it up. And my theory is that true camping actually causes murder, and then they go unsolved in national parks. So if you like camping, that's all good. But here's what I need you to imagine. Imagine somebody invites you on a camping trip like that. A hiking trip like that, true camping, and it lasts for three years. And then on top of that, that person invites all of your worst enemies. There is no way I would go on that camping trip. I would barely go on that camping trip with people I love. But that is exactly what Jesus does. This is the makeup of Jesus' disciples. Here's who he invites into his friend group when he decides to start his ministry. He starts with six people who are known as zealots, four zealots in his group. These were extreme nationalists who hated the oppressive government and committed acts of terror, acts of violence against the oppressive government regime. Four zealots in his friend group. And the only people they hated worse than the government were Jews who sided with the government, who supported the government. So guess who Jesus invited next? Yes, a man who supported the government, a local Jew, a tax collector who sided with the government and actually helped the government oppress his own people. This tax collector, known as Matthew, would have been known amongst his community as a race traitor. And Jesus invites him into the group. Now, guess who he invites next? Yes, he invites the people that Matthew, the tax collector, and this political regime were oppressing. He invites six fishermen. Now, fishermen in that day would have been like living hand to mouth. And they were heavily, heavily exploited by heavy taxes oppressed by the government, put on them by the government. And this would have caused them in that day to live hand to mouth. It would have been like uh, someone in our society living day to day, hand to mouth. And in some cases, taxes were so heavy that they were actually reduced to beggars. So think of somebody in our society who is living on the brink of homelessness. This is what fishermen in that day and age would have been like. And so Jesus not only invites the tax collector, he invites the people that the tax collector has been oppressing. That is not a happy marriage. Now, not only were the fishermen exploited by tax collectors and by the government, they were also exploited by the upper classes of Jewish society. Those upper classes think the top 1% who could work the game, 
who not sided with the government but knew how to make it turn out well for them, they also exploited the Jewish lower class. And so guess who Jesus invites as his 12th and final disciple to the group? That's right. He invites a Jewish noble by the name of Nathaniel, who would have been one of those who had also exploited and preyed upon these fishermen, this lowest of classes. It is, by all accounts, an awkward group of followers. And to top it all off, Jesus also invites and welcomes women to follow him, to learn from him and to be his disciples in a society that would not allow women to attend school. This is a really awkward camping trip. But this is exactly what Jesus does. He invites this group of unlikely friends, not even friends, but natural enemies, to come together, to follow him, and to do life together for three years. And if you were looking at who you would choose as your band of followers, if you needed to get something done, this is not the group that you and I would have naturally chosen. If anything, this sounds like the plot to a murder mystery movie. It sounds like a disaster, but it's exactly what Jesus does. Anyone looking at this group would have been people, would have thought, these people are supposed to get something done, they'll be lucky if they don't kill each other by the end of this ministry. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It was no accident that he chose this group of natural enemies to be his followers. In fact, it was the only thing that he could have done. He did it on purpose because Jesus had come for everyone. He had come for the attacked and the attacker, the oppressed and the oppressor, the rich and the poor, the marginalized and those in power, he had come for every single one of them. So when he looks at what his community is going to look like, he brings together people from all of these corners of his world to model for us what his community would have to look like if it was a true reflection of the God who came and gave everything for the entire world. Jesus was modeling what a heavenly community would look like for us. It would look like a group of unlikely friends, of natural enemies, because God had come for each and every one of them. And if Jesus wanted to have a relationship with each and every one of us, despite all of our differences, then all of us would have to learn how to have a relationship with one another. Because in Jesus' kingdom, he had come for everyone, and he meant everyone. So Jesus chooses this unlikely group of people to be a model of what his community would have to look like. And then he prays for one thing. He says, God, help them to learn how to live with one another because they are going to need it. And not just this group of people, but my church, my community, forever and into the future, they are going to need some help if they are going to be one. But this is so different from how we typically think of church or church community. My guess is when you came to check out Cape Cod Church for the first time, you didn't come hoping that you would find a bunch of people who were unlike you or that you did not like. 
right? You came hoping that you would find a group of people that you could enjoy community with. And if you're here just checking us out, my guess is that's what you came looking for. I mean, you probably came to check out the vibe, see if it was a good fit, and then hopefully get involved. And in general, we don't really think of church as a group of enemies or unlikely friends. I mean, in general, we like each other, right? We come and we hope that it'll be a good fit. But the problem with this is that is not what Jesus modeled or invited us to expect about his church. Church is not a place where you will naturally like everyone or where you will be surrounded by people who look like you. Jesus invited us to expect something very different, but here is the fear and here is the challenge. Your expectations will change and alter and affect how you engage with church. Your expectations will affect how you build church community and your expectations will affect how you react to church community. And here's the the danger. If you come expecting to easily like everyone in this space, or that everyone will be like you in many ways, if you come expecting that, you will either create something that matches your expectations and miss out on the depth of what true church can look like, or you'll be disappointed in your expectations. You'll become disillusioned, and you will walk away. And in either case, we are missing out on the true power, the true depth of what Jesus has invited us to in his community. Look at what Jesus says after. <laughs> he says to, in his prayer, I am praying that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may too be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The church is meant to be a place that is so unlikely, so not naturally our human preset, that people look and wonder, how is that possible? What is going on there? That is not normal. There must be something supernatural taking place. But I I know what you might be thinking. Well, okay, we don't really have enemies nowadays. Like, I can see how that works in the New Testament. Tensions are high. It was a totally different time, but we don't really have enemies these days. But we do have plenty of things that divide us or differences among us. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There are people in this room who supported Bill Belichick when Tom Brady went to Florida. And there are people in this room who supported Tom Brady when he went to Florida and were loyal to him despite all odds. Your enemy may be in the seat next to you or in front of you. There are people in this room who think that Dunkin' Donuts is swill. And there are people in this room who think that Starbucks is overpriced diabetes. Your enemy may be in the seat in front of you. There are people in this room who are boomers. We have boomers in the room, and we have millennials in the room, and everywhere in between. Poor Gen X, nobody ever remembers them. I was at a party, so I was invited to a party hosted by a loft student this past week, which is a huge privilege, loved it. And I was listening to some of the students talk, and at one point in the conversation, one of the girls was like, oh my gosh, that's so millennial. And I was like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) 
Uh, at first I was nervous. I was like, I don't even know if I want to ask. I'm just going to pretend and hope she doesn't know that I'm a millennial. And I, but I did. I was like, wait, what, is that, what does that mean? Like, what are the stereotypes about millennials from Gen Z? Because that's the whole new generation rising up. And I know what the stereotypes about millennials are from the older generations. You know, lazy, live in your parents' basement, all that stuff. But I was like, I want to know, wait, what does Gen Z think about millennials? And I learned that apparently the Gen Z trend right now, or the stereotype about millennials is when you say something that you think is funny but nobody else laughs because it's not funny and it's not relevant apparently that's being a millennial <laughs> I, like seriously apparently there's this whole online trend right now making fun of millennials about trying to be relevant and like not being relevant that's what gen z thinks about us so my generation is doomed but it just goes to tell you the differences between us there are people in this room who are in Gen Z, and there are boomers and millennials. There are plenty of things that make us different. And I'm poking fun, but there are other things too, more serious things that divide us. There are people in this room who voted differently than you this past year. And there are other kinds of things that divide us that are not because we're antagonistic, they're just differences. It makes it hard for us to talk to one another or to engage with one another. There are people in this room who have never had to worry about where their money is coming from, and we have people in this room who live paycheck to paycheck. There are people in this room who approach life with a disability, and people who have never had to think about that a day in their lives. We have extrovert extroverts and introverts who don't like engaging in public. We have all sorts of differences. We have people in this room who have been in church all of their life and know Jesus in that way, grew up with Jesus. And we have people in this room who had never heard of anything like that until they were in their 50s. Of all sorts of differences in this room that could divide us because it makes it difficult for us to engage with one another. So if you want to know who your natural enemy is these days or who your unlikely friend is, fill in the blank in one of these sentences. If you want to know who your natural enemy is, fill in the blank here. I could never be friends with someone who... And finish it for yourself. That's your natural enemy. If you want to know who your unlikely friend is, fill in the blank for this sentence. I just wouldn't know how to talk to somebody who... Blank. Whatever that is for you, and it's probably a variety of things, those are the people that are your natural enemies, or maybe an unlikely friend. Somebody who is different from you. Maybe someone who you don't like, or don't think that you like. The things that divide and separate us. It existed in the New Testament. It exists today still. It just looks a little bit different. And this is the kind of church community this is the kind of community that we are called to, and we're called to be one. And if you expect that you will only find in church people who are like you, or people that you instantly like, you will either be disappointed and walk away, or you will create that kind of community, and you will miss out on the depth of community the beauty of what Jesus was creating then and now, because Jesus was very, very serious 
when he said that he came to be a savior and a king for all people, for everyone. And if that's true, then his community, his people, his kingdom, his church should reflect that diversity. But that doesn't come easily. In fact, it's very messy. It's very messy and it's challenging and it takes time. You can just look at what the disciples lived out. In fact, um, Jesus is praying for them now because he knows this is going to be challenging. This is the one thing I'm going to pray for. But the rest of the New Testament is collections of letters written back and forth between the churches and the church leaders on how to get along with one another because it was really hard. They had to wrestle through all kinds of differences, theological, practical, economic differences, and it wasn't easy. The majority of our New Testament is dedicated to figuring out how to live with one another because Jesus was calling them to a community of unlikely friends and natural enemies who were learning how to live with one another. And Jesus has asked us not to settle for anything less. And it's hard, but there are also hints that it is something unique and beautiful something worth cherishing and protecting and fighting for. It is the thing, Jesus said, the thing that people will look at and think, huh, there's something weird going on there. There's something supernatural going on there because that's not human. It is the thing that Jesus said people would recognize us for and be convinced that God had really come, had really drawn these people together. My guess is that the disciples who had lived this out for three years, something so unusual, something so unique and rare and beautiful in their time, my guess is that it was so cherished that when they came to this night three years later and Jesus said, I'm about to leave, they would have been terrified because he was the glue. Something unusual had happened and he was about to leave and he assures them, no, no, no. I am praying that you may be one. Let me show you how. Uh, two, a couple of years ago, almost two and a half years ago now, but in 2020, we launched a new young adult ministry at Cape Cod Church, uh, which we called Social Life. And uh, it was built on the presumption that um, young adults on Cape Cod, one of the deepest needs is for connections, for community, so we called it Social Life. And I got to be a part of that launch and to lead that young adult group, and I was really, really excited to be a part of that and to do that and to build that. But I, I want to be honest, and not everyone knows this, but at the time when we were building Social Life, I was excited to be a part of it, but I didn't personally, when we were building it, I wasn't personally like, oh, this is filling a need that I have. I looked at, I knew that like, young adults need places to connect, they need friends, but honestly, at the time, I had a pretty strong social network, I had family that I can depend on, I had good friends, I was deeply involved in our church here, so I was excited to be a part of that, but I didn't expect it to be a unique benefit or to fill a need in my personal life. But I was excited to be a part of it, and we launched that in 2020, and over the years, it grew. We started with maybe a dozen people, and then Next summer, 30 people, and this summer we had nearly 50 people in the summer and throughout the year involved in this young adult ministry, social life. 
And something started to happen for me, personally, around year two. We had been spending a lot of time with one another, week in, week out, gathering on a weekly basis, uh, having discussions about faith and serious things. And then we had celebrated lots of milestones together, birthdays and um, engagements even, weddings. Uh, new jobs and careers we had celebrated together, and we had prayed for one another. We prayed through hard times and prayed through loss, and over the course of two years, you really you get to know people better. And um, something happened for me right around that two-year mark, and I realized that this community had become very precious to me personally. I had just started to get to know people in a different way. And they had become very precious to me, doing life with them. And last spring, towards the beginning of summer, when my mom received her brain tumor diagnosis, this group of people was one of the first group of, of people that I wanted to tell, because I wanted them to pray with me and to pray for me. Something had just shifted in me. And I have to tell you, like, social life, like many of our small groups here at Cape Cod Church, is an unlikely group of people. I mean, there are people in social life that are just wildly different. We have people who are PhD students and plumbers and school teachers and everything in between. We have people who grew up in Cape Cod and people who moved here from Texas. That might be the biggest difference. <laughs> we have people who grew up in church all their life, and we have people in social life who were practicing witchcraft just a few months ago and now are following Jesus. And then we have people who are skeptical and asking questions and aren't sure if they want to follow Jesus. There are many things that could divide us. I mean, we have people in our group who view the world and current events very, very differently. It's an unlikely group of people. And I will tell you, it is one of the most beautiful things for me to see and get to be a part of. We have people in our group who embrace one another and love one another against all odds, and that has been a special gift to me. It has been beautiful, and I cherish it. And it's not because I was empty before. I have a great family and friends, I love my church, but there, I got to experience in this group of people something different and rare and unique. When you get together people in a church community and you spend time getting to know one another against all odds, it is something rare and beautiful and deeper than we could ever have expected or any kind of community we would have created on our own human intuition. And that only happens when we have a stubborn, excuse-defying conviction that the church is a place for everyone, that Jesus really came for everyone, and that means everyone is welcome, and that means I get to invite those people into my life. And it's not easy. And it's why Jesus prays for it. It's the one thing he prays for, the one resolution he gives us. And he also gives us some advice. On that night, when he was going to be crucified, and he gathered together all his friends over this last meal, before they eat together, he gets down and he washes their feet. Zealot, fisherman, noble, all of them. 
He washes them all. And then Judas, the traitor, leaves, and it's like everything moves into hyperspeed because things have been set in motion. Jesus knows there's very little time that they have left together, so he starts to tell them things. He draws them in close, he warns them about what's to come, he encourages them, and he prays for them, and he says, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And then he gives them this reminder. So now, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Loving one another was not an unfamiliar commandment to people in the Jewish community. The Old Testament talks a lot about loving your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus changes it. Not just as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the key. If you want to be one, love one another. Just like I have loved you. Just like I did washing each other's feet, love one another. Just like I'm about to do, laying down my life, sacrificing for you, love one another. Just like I loved each and every one of you, despite your differences, despite the things that separate you from one another, despite the ways that you have disappointed me or disappointed one another, love each other, serve each other, sacrifice for one another. Love each other like that. It's like Jesus draws in his disciples and he says, we've been practicing this for three years. I told you to love your enemies and I meant it. You have been doing that for three years and your enemies aren't far off. They're in this room. Your natural enemies, these people that are unlikely friends who have become your family. Love one another. Reach beyond the things that separate and divide you. Reach beyond the things that maybe you don't like or don't naturally make you comfortable and love one another because at the cross, in front of Jesus, we are all on level ground. No one is greater than anyone else and we are all called to serve. So if you wanna be a part of something rare and beautiful, this community, natural enemies, learning to live with one another, you will have to love one another sacrificially, just like Jesus did. Jesus prayed that we might be one, not just his disciples then, but us, Cape Cod Church. And if real church is a community of natural enemies and unlikely friends, learning to live with one another, it takes time and intentionality, it takes prayer, it's something that only an act of God can achieve. So that when the world looks at our love, when the world looks at our unity, they think, that can't just be human. That doesn't happen by accident. So here's my proposition for us in 2023. As a community, let's resolve to be one. And for you, that may mean resolving to participate in church community, to go one step deeper. And I don't know what that means for you. Perhaps you're here, you've been a part of Cape Cod Church for a long time, you have community here, you have friends, you're in a small group, but for you, maybe that means making space for people who aren't like you. People you aren't naturally comfortable with. And I don't mean like go around the church looking for your enemies and befriending them. <laughs> 
You don't need to do that. I promise God will bring people into your life who it's challenging for you to love or uncomfortable or hard. You're just not sure how to go about it. And I don't know what that means for you, but maybe you just need to make some space in your life. However you finish that sentence, I could never be friends with or I just wouldn't know how to be friends with. Perhaps the person, that's the person you need to pray about this year. Maybe you need to invite someone new into your small group. Or maybe you need to take someone out to lunch. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you need to make space for people who aren't like you. Or maybe you don't always like. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you've been at Cape Cod Church a long time. You've been attending on Sundays, but you've never really gotten involved in the community here. You've never really stepped into a community of people and tried to do life with them or make friends. And I just want to let you know, it is something beautiful. It's worth stepping into and giving it a try. And so maybe your resolution in 2023 is to give it a shot. And not just for a week, but for a year, because these things take time. Relationships grow over time. Good, deep relationships take intentionality. And so maybe for you, your resolution this year is to join a small group. Next week, we're going to be opening up our catalog for new winter small groups. This is the perfect time to be looking. And so if that's you, mark your calendar for next Sunday to take a look and to see, to make space in your schedule, to get involved in a ministry team or a small group here at Cape Cod Church, whatever that looks like for you. Or maybe it's just one relationship, that first step. And maybe for you, though, you have been exploring Cape Cod Church privately, and you've been exploring Jesus because you're not yet sure whether you want to be a part of this community because you're not sure what you think about Jesus. And we love that. We are so glad that you are here. We hope this is a place where you can explore your doubts and your questions. But I want to tell you this. There comes a point when exploring your questions in theory comes to an end. And there comes a point where it's just time to experience it from the inside. And you can do that even before all of your questions are answered. In fact, we think it is the best way to pursue your questions and your doubts. And if that's you, I want to invite you to check out a small group. Maybe it's a starting point group, but that group of people experiencing that community, if Jesus is really who he said he was, it's the best way to be able to see him to experience it for yourself and determine whether he really was who he said he was and whether this community could really live up to what he prayed for. So today as we close, I don't know what your resolution this year is. I know what our resolution as a community could be, to be one. And maybe for you that means taking a step deeper. And if you're here today and you are at the point where you would like to take that step by taking the relationship with Jesus, that's your first step into his community is a relationship with him, I want to close by giving you the opportunity to do that and to pray through our resolutions for 2023. So will you pray with me? Father, all across this room are people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, persuasions, perspectives. And Father, it is a gift to be a part of this community and the family that you have drawn together. And we confess, Father, that sometimes, sometimes we're more prone 
So just drawing the people around us who we like or naturally like us. Sometimes we're hesitant to reach across those differences, reach across that aisle, whatever it may be. Father, this year we ask that you would give us eyes to see what your kingdom could really look like. That we might develop sincere, deep bonds with people who are chasing after you. People who don't look like us, who didn't come from where we come from. That we can pursue you together. And that it might be something beautiful. Father, if there's anyone here who wants to start that journey by entering into a relationship with you, entering into a relationship with this community of people who are following after you, I want to give them the opportunity to do that. And if that's you here today, perhaps you pray something like this. God, I don't have all of my questions answered, but I believe that you sent your son to die on my behalf, that he came for everyone, including me, despite my faults and despite my failures. He sacrificed himself, that he laid down his life for me. Today, I wanna accept that gift so that I can have a relationship, a personal relationship with you. Today, I accept Jesus as my king and my friend. Help me to follow after him. Help me to live in this family, this beautiful journey of discovery and relationship with you, to experience the full life that you have in store for me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.